I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Hi, everyone. Kristen Sinatra-Walker here, and I have a special guest with us, uh, reached out to us, and um, she is all the way in Australia, and uh, and we aren't. <laughs> At least my show isn't. So um, I'm really excited about having Bipolar Barbie on the show. Um, I'm going to call her B throughout, since that's what everybody calls her. And we're going to find out what her mission is and how she came up with that name, because I know that that is quite unique. So B, thank you so much for coming on the show. That's okay. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came up with, I know there's a story there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I guess, um, you know, sort of what I what I do, it, it would come under the, the heading of a mental health advocate. Um, mm-hmm. And I do a lot of things within that kind of heading. Um, but basically, it's raising awareness about mental health through social media, um, you know, public speaking, um, you know, YouTube, all that sort of thing. Um, how I came up with the name Bipolar Barbie and I guess how kind of all of this started. I was having a really severe manic episode um, because I do have bipolar disorder. And um, I remember, you know, being in this house at the time and I'm an absolutely messy person. You know, I just I have this explosion of stuff um, Mm -hmm. that just you know, and injuring mania, it's like this whirlwind. So, you know, I had clothes piling up everywhere. And my housemate just sort of said to me, she's like, why do you have so many clothes? And I kind of thought about it for a second. And I was like, well, I have so many different personalities. They each really do need their own wardrobe. <laughs> and I, I just thought, you know, like when I'm when I'm in a manic state, I, I dress in a certain way with a lot more confidence, a lot more color. Um, you know, it's slightly more provocative. When I'm depressed, you know, it's a lot more Netflix and chill, track pants, oversized T-shirts. You know, haven't gotten out of bed in like a week, kind of look. Um, right. You know, so and then, you know when I when I feel kind of probably not so confident about myself and, and sort of lower self-esteem, you know, then you get kind of that more grunge and, and like jeans and like ripped t-shirts kind of look and, and everything else, I guess, in between. And, you know, that's when I kind of realized that I I felt like this naked Barbie doll, you know, 
when you're a Barbie, it's like a little girl plays with you, you know. The little girl gets to decide what you're going to be each day. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I didn't have much control over who I was going to be each day. Right. So, you know, Barbie's got, you know, horse riding Barbie, roller skating Barbie, nurse Barbie, Malibu Barbie. You know, she's got all of these different outfits and characters that she can play. And I was like the mentally ill version of a Barbie doll. Interesting. Now, why did you, you equated it to Barbie simply because of the, um, you know, Barbie gets to be different every day or was it also a body thing? What, you know, what it had was... nothing to do with like a, a body image or anything okay. like that. You know, that didn't really cross my mind at the time. It it was really just the two things of like someone else, you know, is in control of you and, mm-hmm. and the you know, controlling your life. And, you know, the fact that the clothes themselves is, I think, the only way Barbie really gets to know what character she's playing. You know, I didn't really get to know what what symptoms I'd be struggling with until I woke up in the morning and what clothes I wear is a really big indicator of kind of what kind of day I'm going to have. What how old were you when you were, you know, when you somebody, maybe it was you first, maybe it was someone else realized that. Um, you were having mental health challenges or did it happen later in life? Uh, It's sort of, I think like the first time that I really started reaching out for help and that I knew something was severely wrong um, was around my 20th birthday. Okay. Um, That's when I sort of reached out for the first time. Looking back now, like if I was looking at my, my childhood and my teenage years, I would be able to see that there was, you know, a, a mentally ill child and, and teenager there that had a lot of issues going on at, at home and, and a lot of issues. But I think I hit it really well. And I don't think, you know, being mentally ill or being crazy, you know, is something that you kind of think of at first. Right. You know, it's sort of it's not until your whole life starts falling apart until, you know, I was at law school on a full scholarship. You know, I started I started failing law school, you know, and um, you know, I just I was working two jobs as well and you know, then like I lost my jobs and you know, things just started getting worse and worse and I think it's when you lose your functioning capacity as an adult that it really starts to interfere because suddenly you know you can't earn money you know your career starts to fail your relationship starts to fail and that's when you kind of go okay something is really wrong because no matter how hard I try I'm getting nowhere right right exactly did your how what kind of support did you have um, when you you know first reached out from family and friends and you know the community around you I think, you know, the support that I had from my friends at university, you know, it was good support, Um, you know, that they were the ones that really encouraged me to get help. They were really scared for me, you know. I don't think I realized how much it actually affected them um, until sort of a friend of a friend called me one day and said, you know, I just I can't handle you doing this to, you know, some of our other friends, you know, do you understand how scared they are for you? They're terrified that they will go to your dorm room one day and you'll just be dead in there. You know, they are so scared. You know, if you're not going to get help for yourself, then you need to get help for that because it's taking a toll on how worried they are about you. Um, So they really encouraged me to get help. Um, As far as my family was concerned, though, I think 
they didn't understand. They didn't believe me. Um, there was really no support from mm. them there. Um, you know, they kind of, they shut me out. Uh, they really didn't want to have anything to do with me. And I remember the first time I'd spoken to them in about 12 months, um, you know, I, I called my mother and I said, you know, I'm, I'm dropping out of law school. Um, because I'd recently just tried to take my own life and, and gotten out of hospital and, and things just really weren't good. And I remember her just bursting into tears and I thought, you know, well, that's, that's a valid response. You know, they've kind of, you know, if, if your daughter's just, you know, told you that she's, you know, tried to take her own life. Mm -hmm. Um, but the words that came out of her mouth were, how dare you do this to us? How yeah. dare you drop drop out of law school? How dare, like, what am I going to tell my friends that you're no <laughs> longer at law school? Like, how, how can you embarrass me in this way? Yeah. Been there. I've been and, in that place too. <laughs> Family. I get it. Yep. And it's like, that's what you got out of that conversation? Like, yeah, exactly. You I'm know, like, and it, yeah. <laughs> it kind of just got from there. But, you know, I, I, I started to focus on people who could actually help me, which was, you know, doctors and, and therapists and medical professionals. And, you know, even that road wasn't as easy as I think a lot of people make it out to be. Um, I've probably seen a hundred medical professionals, you know, or more between psych ward admissions and nurses and, and therapists and counselors and GPs and psychiatrists and, and social workers and, and everything. And not all of them are helpful. Right. You know, a lot of them, a lot of them are either not qualified, you know, they, they might say that they're kind of, you know, they're mental health qualified, but what, what they mean by that is like depression, and anxiety, when you get right. to the point that, you know, you have complex mental illnesses like bipolar and then, you know, borderline personality and premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And, and you, you know, you've got that sort of list that's like more than one diagnosis and they're complex diagnoses then all of a sudden like general practitioners don't want to touch you you know yeah. they're kind of like oh you've got to be at a psych you know a psychiatrist or, or a psych ward and I think a lot of therapists aren't qualified to deal with that either a lot of therapists you know just deal with general life stress relationship issues you know loss and and um, grief um but a lot of, you know, complex childhood trauma and I think mental illnesses that create a distortion in a person's thinking and yeah. mood disorders, I think a lot of them don't go through that training and have the experience in those areas. Yeah, and there's a lot of stigma. I don't know how it is in Australia, but I know, um, you know, in some of the other countries that we're in and including the United States, um, there's a lot of stigma in the community amongst um, counselors, not all, of course, but uh, who immediately they don't want to see someone who has borderline as an example. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, there's there's that too. So there's stigma within what's already stigmatized. And I think even like you know, borderline's very interesting because I recently found some good, really experienced professionals and done a lot of research on it myself. Um, but I remember in the beginning when I was first diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, which is stupid because it has, it's not like a personality disorder at all. Um, you know, as, as far as 
clinically um it's on the border of like a personality disorder that's why they call it borderline, borderline exactly <laughs> yeah but it's not a personality disorder so naming it like that is just it gives off the wrong vibe but even psychiatrists you know and 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 the first professionals that told me about it it was like it just you know I'm like what does that mean they're like it just means you can't handle your emotions you know, it just means you're emotional. It just means you overreact. And it's very accusatory. It's like, that hurts. And I think the more I've gone into it, that's when people, you know, started to really get deep into it. And they're like, no, it's not that you just can't control your emotions. It's like, you can't c control your emotions because you're feeling the emotion of years of trauma. Right. Like you were, tra you were traumatized as a child, you're abused and really, you know, shitty things happen to you. And they've sort of been continuing to happen throughout your life. And you get more and more sensitive to those issues yeah. because they're kind of never dealt with. So it's like each time something happens to you and it triggers that memory, it triggers that feeling you're experiencing every single time it's happened to you before. Yeah. And it's like the emotion just builds and builds. And it's, it's like, volcano every time. Yeah. You know, the punishment or sort of the outburst might not seem to fit the crime at the time. But if you look at it as a lifetime of pain, then it's really understandable. So, you know, renaming it and talking about it like a complex trauma um, or a compounding trauma rather than a personality disorder, you know, completely changed my view of it. And I think takes that accusatory nature out of even how doctors explain it to you and, and how, you know, they explain it to your friends and family because you know the message that my family heard was oh yeah well we knew there was something wrong with her from the moment she was born you know you've just wow. put a name to it and it's like yeah what was wrong with me is the fact that you thought there was something different from the moment I was born and the way you treated me as a result like that's what happened like you know right. but it this just was gave created me this was created I didn't come out of the womb with some of this yeah 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 is there any, um, I mean, that's really difficult to um, not to have the people that are um, responsible, you know, for some of or all of, you know, the abuse that a child suffers to completely invalidate their responsibility in that, even though you're an adult and you're, you know, um, responsible for your actions as an adult, but it, it's really difficult to start healing that trauma um, when, you know, some of the people that were abusive to you that created it uh, don't validate that or, or even acknowledge that they played a part in it. So how have you handled that? I think definitely the work that I do talking about it has helped because, you yeah. know, in a way, my family never wanted to talk about it. And, you know, now I have hundreds of thousands of fans that I, you know, I talk to about it and communicate with on a daily basis. And, you know, it's it's almost like if you didn't listen to me and now I'm going to make the whole fucking world listen. Um, <laughs> I understand yeah. completely. Yes. <laughs> you know, but, you know, having other people validate it. Um, but, you know, for me, it wasn't necessarily validating that, you know, the, the abuse and the trauma, it was, I just wanted to hear that I was a good person. Yeah. You know, I, I just wanted to hear that I wanted to get to the bottom at first of what was wrong with me and having to accept that there was nothing wrong with me, you know, um, that I wasn't defective, like they made it me out to be. I think that is like really hard to undo that many years of, yeah. you know, mind programming. It's like, you know, they're, 
what they told you you were is like what you begin to think that you are. It's like a broken record that plays. Um, But I say to a lot of people right now, and I'm still trying to explain it to my family and they don't really, you know, they don't understand. And, you know, I think a lot of people don't want to accept blame for something and taking responsibility always has this negative stigma of blame, but you know, where blame lays, there's an incredible amount of power and, Um, You know, that's one thing I learned from abusive relationships I was in as an adult. I felt powerless because, you know, I blame them. You know, you're abusing me. Stop abusing me because I was accusing them of abusing me. Like, yes, they were abusing me. But because I was putting that on them, it was like they were the ones that had to stop abusing me. When in reality, if I went, no, they're abusing me because I'm letting them. Uh Wow. Then suddenly... I'm empowered to leave. You know, I have the power then. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because you do, you can attract some some pretty unsavory characters when you're in trauma. You, you're like a magnet and sometimes. That's right. (laughs) You you feel like you kind of deserve it. And, And, you know, in a way, you know, if you grew up in a home that wasn't, you know, a sort of a loving environment, it's like, that's almost your idea of love. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, how you feel loved is how you remember being around your parents and, and how they made you feel. So it's like, even if you don't realize that, you know, it, you know, it doesn't feel like love because it doesn't feel good, but it's like, you don't know how to be affectionate and around people that don't have that. It's sort of like proving your worth is love. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's a wonderful uh, woman. Um, her name is Dr. Janice Webb. Have you ever heard of her? No, Dr. Webb. No, I don't think I have. Yeah, look up um, Google Childhood Emotional Neglect. And she yeah. writes all about that. And um, she, it's, you know, I mean, and a lot of people talk about it. She just is really good at talking about it and um, since you like to research uh, there's some good meat on the bones the researching in that direction <laughs> yeah it was childhood neglect or emotional mm-hmm. neglect did you childhood say? emotional neglect c-e-n so that that's yeah. what the, she calls it yeah which is interesting because i'm i'm currently writing um one of my books and it's on the story of a borderline princess and it's all about that princess that gets kicked out of the castle and um you know she goes through her whole life journey and i guess you know um without giving too much away because the story is quite interesting but you know it's like life is not really a fairy tale um if you lose your shoe at midnight you're drunk it's you know (laughs) there's no cinderella Right. And there's no Prince Charming either. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. But, you know, I I kind of had the Prince Charming. I had my knight in shining armor. You know, I had the frog and none of them turned out to be right. And I think at the end of the day, I realized and, you know, this analogy is is really how I experienced it myself. But um, I kind of realized, like, I don't need a king you know, because I always wanted to to go back home. I, you know, I didn't need a king and I didn't need a prince, you know, to, you know, be royalty. It's like, it was my birthright to be a queen. So, you know, why am I trying to be a princess rescued like a damsel in distress? Like, why the hell am I even looking for a prince, you know, to validate my claim to the throne? It's like, no, I think every woman needs to, you know, have that, period of being in a committed relationship to herself 
Um, you know, you need to be a queen. (laughs) You need to become a queen and build your own kingdom. Um, and then you can, you know, you can find another kingdom and join that, you know, and it's like an expansion. Yeah, it's, if, it's, if you want to, that's right. You know, it's, it's not um, a requirement for happiness. There are plenty of queens who live alone and they love it. <laughs> oh, that's exactly right. No, I'm I'm at that point. Um, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, you when you have your own, you know, kingdom and you know, yeah. and you're strong, independent. Totally I mean, you know, someone said to me the other day. They said, "Yeah, but what's a queen without her king?" And I'm like, historically <laughs> speaking, more powerful. That's right. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> you know, Queen Elizabeth, you know, um, you can go right down to, you know, ancient, um, you know, Egyptians. And it's like that, you know, the female rulers that didn't have a man by their side um, who didn't marry, they were the strongest and, and most powerful out of um you know, anyone sort of in their kingdom during their reign. So that's always my comeback for when people talk about how I need to have a man in my life. It's like, no. Um, And I don't think you can have a healthy relationship until you learn to love yourself. Absolutely. Every woman and every man too needs to have a period of living alone and, and learning to enjoy their own company. Otherwise um, you're, you're really, you know, you're missing out big time and you're missing out on what a healthy relationship is amongst two equals. If you don't do that work either by being alone. Yeah. Well, it really annoys me when people talk about their other half, you know, it's like two halves (laughs) only, you know, they only make a whole. And if that person completes you, well, that's wrong. It's like whatever you need in life, has the ability to control you and if you need a person in your life then they're they can control you you know there's incredible power there if you need money you're going to do whatever you can to get money if you need love you're going to desperately search for love and you know when people say to me like yeah but I'm so alone you know I I need to not feel lonely I, I need love I need to be in a relationship first of all that's not the only way that you can you know that I guess you can not feel lonely and you can, you can obtain love. And it's like, if that's what you're going into a relationship for, it's going to be an unhealthy power dynamic (laughs) right from the beginning. You know, I, I've been single now over 12 months and I've never felt uh, more stable. I've never felt more loved and I've never felt kind of less alone. And those are things you're meant to get out of a relationship and, just because you're in a relationship doesn't mean you're getting those things. You know, it's, I love it because uh, I know you're younger than I am. I don't know how much younger, but uh, and doesn't really matter. But um, but I do love it that you that I know that you are and you know this because um, I'll tell you this. I was I I love uh, this time that I'm spending alone in my life. I love it, and um, I all the same things you just said. And I absolutely love, and I've always loved um, going out to eat by myself. Like, I, I, I mean, I love going out with my friends too, but I love going out to eat by myself. And I remember a few times going out to eat with couples and I was the only single person there and I was lamenting to someone, oh, I'm always, you know, the only person by myself. And I was married for a long time. So that wasn't even a true statement, but we're conditioned to believe that you're lacking if you're not partnered. 
And um, it was, and it's so nice to have the absence of that now. But I went to a restaurant and it shocked me the other day. And this young woman, I think she's, she had to have been 18 or something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I didn't want to shame her for what she said. Cause you know, teachable moments, if, you know, if someone can hear you and if they want to be taught, then, um, you know, shame doesn't get any, get, doesn't get you anywhere. But um, I walked in and I always go to this place by myself. I love it. I chat with all the wait staff. We just have a really great time and I just do my thing. I don't even think about the fact that I'm alone. That's not even part of my thought process, you know? And she goes, well, you're not alone. You're with other people. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, and I'm with myself. So no, I'm not yeah. alone. So I, I walk You've got up plenty and, of imaginary friends. Like, <laughs> you know, right. it's exactly, exactly. So I just, I, she went, Oh, just one. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I haven't had anyone say that in forever. And I just started laughing and I said, Oh, 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 please don't ever, don't ever say that to someone again. I'm just asking you, please don't say that. It's really an empowering thing. And, and saying that is just, um, it's just not, not a good idea. And she said, she was startled and she said, Oh, well, I, I mean, I haven't thought about it. I guess I've never gone. I've never gone to eat by myself. I said, you really should. It would be really good for you. I hope you do. And I hope you just enjoy it. (laughs) <laughs> well that, that's that's where I would be like that's where I would come back with like um no you need a place for my pet unicorn Phil like <laughs> he, he's eating here too and like no but I completely understand and I don't know I guess it's that's like one reason why I'm so passionate about um like you know this this whole concept of of the story of a borderline princess because I don't know I like I I definitely think Disney has a lot to answer for. Um, in <laughs> yes, this. they do. <laughs> but I really hope that it's it's a it's a story. You know, I mean, it's it's going to be a bit graphic. I'm not going to say you read it to children, but I think you know it's a bedtime story that every father needs to read. Um, because a father, whether you're a female or, or a male, the father actually plays the biggest role in your uh, like relationship development. Um, so it's, you know, depending on the relationships that you had with your father is really the core of how you were going to experience romantic relationships as an adult. Yeah. Um, so daddy issues plays an, as like a huge role in, in how you view yourself, like particularly women, how you view your own self-esteem. And like one thing that I absolutely love, um, I saw a friend of mine, um, you know, I, I talk to him a lot about, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And, and he had like a, a three, four year old daughter. And I, I said to him, I said, why don't you like take her out on like a date? Like, why don't you know, because I was trying to explain to him, I guess, that he was how she was going to grow up. Like he needed to be the man that he wanted his daughter to date, because however mm-hmm. he behaved, exactly how, you know, what she was going to extreme was normal. So in the end, he started taking his little girl on a date night once a week. 
Um, and, you know, he would knock on the door, he would get all dressed up in a suit and he would bring her flowers, you know, and mm. sometimes they would just kind of like cook and set up a little restaurant at the house or, you know, they might go out to like a little restaurant and, you know, there'd be candles and, you know, he'd put her in the car and open the door. And, you know, he did that because he was like, one, it's, it's quality time, but I want to show her that this is how she deserves to be treated. So this little game of, you know, it's not princesses and, and princes. It's like, you know, this little kind of, you know, daddy date is really instilling in her about how a date should go as a man. The same way little girls play, you know, these little fairy tale and make-believe games of playing house and, you right. know, like cooking in the kitchen and stuff. It's, you know, all of that I don't think people realise, you know, instills these little beliefs in us. Um, that, you know, like we grow up with of what we, we should and what we shouldn't do and what we shouldn't oh, be confident. Yeah. Those shoulds are, are, man, those are hard to deprogram out of yourself. They are, they really are all the shoulds from society, all the shoulds from your parents, all the shoulds from, I mean, yeah, the should, the list of shoulds is quite long and very difficult to uh, finally just be like, oh my, I don't want any of it. I'm not subscribing to any of it. <laughs> yeah, and getting rid of them is hard. And I think, it you is. know, there's another there's another aspect there. Like, you know, I grew up in a world where I think, you know, the only validation I got from my family, like I was a big overachiever at school. You know, I was always top of my classes, whether it be swimming, athletics, running, debating, public speaking. You know, I was always that that obnoxiously successful kid that was like, in the school newsletter every week getting another award, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, that was sort of the only time I ever got validation from my family. Like when, you know, I guess effort was never rewarded. It was always just, you know, the what result. the result, that's it. And how um, it made them look, you being a star. Yeah. Exactly, exactly right. And and nothing else was ever validated. So for me, I grew up with this idea that my self-worth was so heavily attached to that, you know, success, it's particularly when I got mentally ill. And I think I would have failed out of school anyway, because there wasn't as many opportunities for that constant validation, you know. Yes. Um, and, you know, I kind of just fell on my ass because of that. And, I, and you know, obviously my self-esteem plummeted because, that was who I was. That was yes, what I had to be. That was be. where you got your your esteem from. So when that went away, yeah. you're like, oh my God, I have to start from where? I know, I know. No one likes commercials. But seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Yeah. Oh, and it's like I have to go within. Oh. Yeah. That was hard. And 
<laughs> and I think too, like, you know, everything else is really interesting. And, and one thing I've realized, you know, as an adult from my interactions with my parents is this kind of therefore, you know, rule. Um, it was, you know, one thing I'm a very messy person and I never really kind of knew why, but looking back on my childhood, there was never a, oh, wow, good job you cleaned up. It was always about time you did that. Right. You know, so it was always like met with a negative, like even when I did something kind of positive. But if I had a messy room, it was like your room's messy, therefore you're a shit person. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, it was it was I, always like a personal attack. Yes. And I think there's no need for that at all. There isn't. And it's interesting, too, because I would sit and go, OK, wait a minute. I don't. I'm 13, 12, whatever. I don't care about bathing. I smell bad. My room is disgusting. There's um, a science project of food on plates under my bed. And this is, <laughs> That's a good and, one. You know, and this is this is like this is how I live. And why are you not under and an eating disorder? So why are you so focused on? you know, and screaming and whatever about my room being clean and me being like you said, a shit person because it wasn't clean instead of focusing on what's the reason that I feel so horrible about myself that this is what I live in, that this is, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and why not, why not take the time? I think like, you know, being an intelligent child as well, it's like, you know, what was so wrong with me, according to my father, was I was a but why child, but why dad, but why? But well, oh, yeah. you know, I, I, but honestly, a little, little truth teller, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, That's you know, right. it's it, but it wasn't a defiant thing for me. Honestly, it was a curious. It was like I had to know. I couldn't not know. And you know, if they had taken the time to explain, you know, well, the reason I, you know, it's good to have a clean room is so that it instills like you know healthy habits or you know right. it's. It, clean germ-free I don't know whatever whatever the reasoning is you know I would have been capable as a child you know to be able to understand that and I just wanted to know why like there is nothing in my life that I don't do that doesn't have a specific rationale behind it you know I have right. to understand it everything has a purpose and if you had showed me that purpose I would have been more than happy to oblige like because I said so never worked with me right. um I don't think it works for <laughs> I don't think it works for a lot of us in kind of, That's you know, our true. generation because it's like, you know, we're taught to question That's right. um, the world. We're taught to question authority, you know, politics, all that sort of thing. So it's like because I said so, it's like uh, it's a not. model that doesn't work <laughs> anymore. Yeah, it just doesn't. That's it, right. It doesn't but, it didn't work with my son either. <laughs> you know, I yeah. And I, I completely understand, I guess, like what you were saying as well, like, I remember um, a few years ago, I was uh, living back with my parents because I'd, I'd just been through like homelessness and, and unemployment and spent like three months in the psych ward. And, you know, I, I was at a pretty rock bottom and, you know, I was doing all right, but then I started to get worse again. And then I was going to go in the psych ward again. And I remember telling them um, that I was going to go back into the psych ward and they were like, why? And it's like, well, one, why would anybody go in the psych ward? Like, clearly, because they're not okay. That's a stupid right. question. You know, but, you know, and then my mom goes like, yeah, but I thought you were doing a ride at the moment. And I was like, well, no. And it's pretty damn obvious that I'm not doing okay. And I took the time to explain them all the warning signs that they should have been looking for. And, you know, things like 
I haven't left the house in like months, you know, and, and I, you know, my room's a cave, the windows aren't open, the curtains are drawn, you know, I got chip packets in my bed, you know, I've <laughs> like, I'm just, right. I'm, I'm in bed, I'm Netflixing, like I haven't showered, you know, I'm, I'm constantly in my pajamas, um, my room's an absolute mess, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm drinking coffee, I'm smoking cigarettes, you know, all this stuff is going on. And, you know, she just said to me, yeah, but you're always like that. Yeah. I just, and I just, they, they had no clue what, well, which... I just looked at her and I said, isn't that the saddest part? I've been depressed for so long that you honestly think that's who I am as a person. Right. Exactly. Well, tell our listeners, um, first of all, I'm so glad that you're speaking about this because you're so eloquent and you, you know, know the words to say and you're not afraid to get out there and say them. So that's freaking fantastic. Um, but what, you know, what, where are you in terms of uh, your work as an advocate? What, what are you doing out there? I know you're writing a book, but, and I know you have YouTube and so on. What else do you go out and do? Um, so I've got, um, like my website, which is, uh, bipolarbarbie.com, um, which has got a lot of information on it, um, a lot of blogs. So I encourage anyone to go there. Um, you know, I've also got my social media followings, um, on my Instagram, the underscore bipolar, the underscore bipolar underscore Barbie. Um, you can hit me up there on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, so that's what I do is, is just share my daily life. Like if you want kind of more in-depth, I guess, you know, these are a lot of overviews, but to watch the actual journey minute by minute as it kind of happens, you know, right. that's what all my social media is about, uh, about making people feel less alone and kind of taking people on this journey. Because I think talking about the stigma is drawing awareness to the stigma. I don't want people to remember there's a stigma. I want people to know yes. what it is actually like to live this life, to not just like know what a mental illness is, but to know, you know, what comes along with that, the relationship issues, the daily freak out, you know, about, I don't know, dropping a spoon because it just triggers this like, oh my God, I'm so anxious and I'm having a panic attack about right. leaving my house or whatever. So, you know, that's what I do. Um, I also go out into a lot of schools and, and do uh, a lot of motivational speaking. Um, I'm really passionate about youth mental health, particularly because I'm in my early 20s and I've just come out of that youth mental health and, you know, I think youth have one of the, well, they, they do statistically have one of the largest rates um, of mental illness. And my town yeah. has the highest youth suicide rate in all of Australia. Wow. So, you know, I've lost so many friends to suicide and I just, you know, I'm just really passionate about youth and I'm really passionate about going into organizations, into mental health organizations and the community like you know, council chambers and community organizations that promote change because, you know, I think we need to bring awareness to the fact that um, there's no point reaching out for help if there's no help available. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, if uh, that help doesn't also, if that help isn't really reaching the way that it needs to, that's, um, you know, that's part of it also. So education. That's exactly right. Yeah. Education I, I think too. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, 
I think that, you know, the biggest issue with stigma and the biggest issue with mental health is people don't know how to talk about it. It's yeah. a language barrier. You know, I can speak fluent German and, you know, I've, I've learned to speak fluent mental illness and I think it's a mm-hmm. language that we need to teach people. Um, you know, my doctors pointed out exactly what you pointed out, that I not only have this understanding, um, but I also have this ability to communicate that understanding and people say to me all the time that come across my content, like, you know, because of you, I now have the words to explain this to my friends and family. Yep. You know, you you put into words what I haven't been able to. And, you know, it really touches my heart when people share my content with their friends and family and, you know, their friends and family contact me and, and just thank me for being able to explain what's going on in their daughter's mind. Um, and I think that that is really, really important. That's why you're doing what you do. Absolutely. So when is the book coming out? The story of a borderline princess I'm hoping will come out early next year. Uh, But, you know, that's something, it's sort of a summary of my life. So I'm working really hard on that one. And, you know, I'm constantly changing (laughs) as far as like when I want, uh, you know, how I want it to be written. Do I want it to be written as a letter to my dad, you know, or do I want it to be written kind of, you know, just from, you know, different ways. So I'm exploring that. Um, I am working on as well the Bipolar Barbie Diaries, which is a a seven-volume edition of, you know, my sort of private daily diary um, admission. So um, they will also be out within the next 12 months as well. So um, follow my social media and you will definitely be updated. Um, There will be one or two books out by the end of this year. Fantastic. I'm I'm really glad that you reached out to us. I'm really glad that uh, at your age, you're able to, like we've already, you know, I've said and you've said already, you're able to um, articulate what you're going, you know, what you deal with and uh, do it in a way that people can really hear you and understand. And I don't, people that are able to do that with language well, um, and right now, a lot of people don't really read anything longer than maybe two sentences. <laughs> so, yeah. but they'll listen to a YouTube video or they will listen to a podcast or, you know, they'll listen to someone speaking. And so, and writing is very different from this, you know, spoken word. So being able to um, speak in a way that people can hear you uh, is a skill. And I, I think someone like you makes it look easy and people have no idea. It does, but you know, at the same time, it is kind of somewhat easy. Like I remember yeah. um, I used to be really into debating and the only debate I ever lost um, was interesting. And the adjudicator, you know, he said it was a shit debate, you know, it was just a crappy topic <laughs> and everything. And, you know, he, um, he singled me out as the only one out of everyone else in in the two teams. And he said, I just really wanted to point out that despite how much a load of shit, you just bullshit, you just, you know, came up with on the spot there, you know, he said, I just so desperately wanted to believe you. And he said, you know, every, you captivated everyone in in this high school audience that was forced to sit through this debate. You know, he said, you captivated, like he, he's like you captivated everyone and not not one of the other speakers had that effect on the audience had that effect on the room and had that effect on me and he said I've heard you debate a couple of times before and it's always been the same and he said I hope you know that that is a gift because not many people you know everybody talks 
Um, not many people want to listen and not many people have the, you know, not many people are listened to when they talk. Um, and no, I didn't realise, you know, I didn't realise that. And, you know, one thing he pointed out to me is, you know, you just need to be aware that you have that power. And I think with that comes a responsibility. If people are going to listen to what you say and people are going to believe what you say, you really need to make sure that what you speak is always of substance, you know, is is always the truth and um, Absolutely. you know, that's, that's always really resonated with me. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I, I love to speak. I always have, and it, and it came easy for me too, but it's still really great to, um, even if something comes easy for you to, um, become a master at it, like not get lazy about it or, um, not realize that it's a gift. And just because it's there, doesn't mean that you shouldn't work at it to make it even better uh, reach. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's the fun part is like, oh, okay, so this is a talent. That's great. And I want to really, um, instead of focusing on all the stuff that you don't do right, let's focus on this thing that you, you, you know, have a talent in and let's really put energy towards making it um, fantastic uh, instead of focusing, 100%. you know, like, oh, I never played guitar. I'm not musical. Okay, well, whatever. So you're not a guitar person, but damn, you really perfected your craft of dialogue. That's amazing. And I think, you know, I think, yeah, I think there's something as well. Like, you know, you can really do anything in life. Um, I always thought about this when I saw people that had a random talent. Like, you know, I, one girl I met was like a world champion arm wrestler. I'm like, <laughs> how just, how does someone just like come up with something random like that and it always made me think like maybe I have this hidden talent I've never like really known about in my life like how would you know unless you try it and recently right. only like a couple of months ago I, I I had this like bit of a drunken relapse and it was kind of documented on Instagram live and you know it was this big thing and somehow out of nowhere I was like you know having a great time dancing around listening to music and I sort of wrapped some Eminem songs and, and an Australian rapper 360 song on mental health and all of a sudden everybody's like, oh my God, you can rap like, oh, like, holy crap. And I was like, what? Like, no, I've never, like, I've never rapped before in my life. And all of a sudden, like 360's rap coach has reached out to me and he's like, you know what, you do have some potential. Like, let's make this happen. Um, so he's been coaching me for a couple of months. I, I wrote nice. a rap song about like to the rapper 360 begging him for tickets to his like show that he had recently and you know he was like oh my god he's a he has bipolar as well so I do know him through my content so um right. you know but you know it, and for me it's the scariest thing I've ever done in my life because I have no idea you know I just it's it's terrifying for me and I'm challenging myself to learn how to do it because it's a new skill it's something nope. I've never done um and I think it's important to really keep challenging yourself no matter how old you are. Um, even if you don't, you know, who knows if I'm going to be a world famous rapper or not. I think it's just, you know, for me, it's about getting out of my comfort zone because I really struggle with fear and creative fear about, oh, my book's not going to be good enough. This piece of oh, art, yeah. you know, it's, that terrifies me. And I think, you know, making a fool of yourself is something that, well, you know, being willing to make a fool of yourself is is something that we is invaluable. It's a um, art unto itself. 
yeah, it really it is. Just, it, it is. Being There's, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wrote this not uh, a couple of days ago that um, I said something really dumb um, on the air on a news program. Um, it was just dumb. And, uh, and I didn't realize, <laughs> I didn't realize that it was dumb. And, um, and then I found out like a week later that what I said was wrong and kind of stupid. And it wasn't anything. It was, it was like, I, I won't say what it was, but it was nothing defamatory or anything like that. It was just kind of something where you'd go, duh, everybody knows that. Why didn't you, you know, and I, my immediate reaction at 48, cause that's how old I am was I just started laughing hysterically. I just started <laughs> racking up and I was like oh my god that is so funny I can't believe I said that on live television that is hilarious oh. <laughs> because I worked hard to really um, like this person that has all these different things going on and it took me a long time to get to this place where you know if a friend did that I would laugh with my friend about them doing that and so I'm laughing with my friend that is me about doing that however even 10 years ago, maybe even not that, maybe even less than 10 years ago, I would have been mortified. I would have wanted yeah. to crawl into a hole and die for making that kind of a mistake um, because, you know, intelligence and all that is, it used to be a, a thing for me. Like, don't look stupid. Don't say something dumb. Don't whatever. So to go from that place to immediate laughter was like, Oh, thank God. Okay, good. I mean, we're doing, we're doing good. Really, if, <laughs> if you live in a world where the Kardashians can like, just get away with just like existing. I think like, president. I, yeah. I, you know, yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> just Australia laughs at you guys, like with your gun laws. Um, you know, mm. not that that's a laughing topic, but years ago we, we changed our gun laws. We made um, guns illegal without a, a specific license. And, you know, when Americans are like, yeah, but like we need guns. It's like, yeah, but we've had like, I think gun related shootings. It's like, you know, murders, um, for example, it's like, I don't know, we have somewhere between like five and 10 a year, like I nationwide. Know. It's like, know. you know, it's like the statistics are there. But anyway, that's a completely we other topic. We are but ridiculous. Yes, we I, are. Those know, of us that live here, and many of us know these things, and we're just like, oh, God. So, yeah, you're right. It's a whole other show. But, yeah, yeah. I just think, like, personally for me, I dream of the day that a, a mental health-specific account, whether it's mine or someone else's, you know, can have the reach of the Kardashians because they have such an yes. influence on the world. Just look at the increase in, you know, of Apple butts, you know, like the big butt and the big lips right. um, on social media. It's changed beauty standards completely um, just because of, of their influence in the world. And, you know, one thing that I find uh, really respectable is, for example, uh, I don't know, I'll use the rapper 360 or, or Demi Lovato or, you know, someone who is in a position of power, like has a large following and does raise awareness about mental health or, or whatever they're passionate about. Because it's like you have this platform, you have engaged people and a large audience. And I'm glad that you are using that for some good, um, because yes. I know how hard it is. Like I have built a uh, a following you know from like the ground up um to do just that yeah. and you know that is so incredibly incredibly hard it's and hard you know, work yes it is, it is. <laughs> and you know i 
I love to share those embarrassing moments and, and it's actually my fans that have encouraged me not to be embarrassed by them. And it's always challenged me to share more. Like, you know, I was on the toilet the other day and then I Instagram storied, you know, the fact that I had gone to the toilet so many times that day. I knew that the toilet paper was running out, but like hadn't done anything about it. And then like I was there and I'm like, it's finally happened. And now I'm on the toilet. There's no toilet paper and there's no one at home. And this is just like a shitty situation. And I'm like, does anyone else go through this? Like, you know, and everyone's like, oh my God, I hate it when that happens. You know, whether it's that or like this like pimple volcano that's been like growing on my face and it's ready to erupt. It's like, you know what guys, like this happens. Like this is what real life is about. And I don't want you to feel alone. I don't want you to feel like weird. Like weird is cool anyway. Like we all have, you know, I don't know, weird shit. Like we're not perfect and I don't, I hated seeing everyone else's highlight reel on social media and I don't want mine to ever be a highlight reel. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, I know I, I, I write what I'm feeling and sometimes it's some pretty deep, you know, stuff and people get like alerted that, oh my gosh, Kristen, you know, you just, I think maybe you need to go to a, you know, what's going on? Are you in counseling? And I'm like, listen, I, I'm fine. I, I'm just writing. I don't use social media to talk about how perfect my life is and to stage what my life looks like. I talk about what's really going on just like I do on my show. And I do that on purpose because the way social media can be used is part of the freaking problem with our youth and all these suicides. So um, let's be real on it and be human and make that okay. Not this standard that isn't real. Even the people putting it out there, it's not real for them either. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And sometimes I find myself getting sucked into that little vortex and and Mm -hmm. I'm tempted. You don't even realize that it kind of happens. And I've got to constantly check myself. I mean, I hated social media. I just couldn't stand it. But at the same time, it's like I'm even surprised at how positive I have been able to make it be um you know it's good yes you can yeah and particularly particularly with mental health when people are like at home um you know they're isolated because of their anxiety or their depression and it's like it actually has given a lot of us in in my community that as in the community I've been able to create online it's an outlet and it's been able to connect us um and have that you know, they talk about social media, you know, no longer being social, taking away that social ability of us. But it's kind of given us that back to people who have been isolated because of yep. their mental health issues. Absolutely. Perfect, perfect last statement. I'm so glad that, you, like I said, you came on the show. Um, tell our listeners one more time what your website is bipolarbarbie.com is where you can find me and then links to all my social media as well as my YouTube channel are there. I have like over 300 videos on my YouTube channel uh, from the past sort of 18 months of my life on a range of different topics. So definitely check that out. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, B. This has been wonderful. My pleasure. My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you to our listeners for another edition of Mental Health News Radio. 
Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight Hi, this is Dr. Paul Meyer, founder of the National Chain of Meyer Clinics. I've often told you about how people just like you are getting the healing that they need from emotional issues like depression, anxiety, anger problems, and relational problems. We wanted to share with you Mickey's experience at our day program and how it has affected his life. The Meyer Clinics has been a real blessing to me. Dr. Meyer told me that people get well here and my life has been completely changed. I have been symptom-free for three years, and I'd recommend it to anybody that really wants to overcome an emotional problem of any kind. Mickey's story is like so many others that we receive. It's an encouragement to us, and we hope it will also be an encouragement to you to call us to get the emotional help that you've needed. Please call toll-free 888-7-CLINIC to be connected to the Meyer Clinic program nearest you. That's 1-888-7-CLINIC or go to MeyerClinics.com. That's www.meierclinics.com.